to leave here and, and have the wrong idea about what church should be. Because there's way too many churches out there that are doing what I would say is not the right thing according to the Bible. Not my opinion, but according to the Bible. Um, so, so what we have here in 1 John chapter 4 is a shift, okay? Um, I was actually at uh, Salem uh, Baptist uh, Christian School earlier today, and I was speaking in their chapels, and basically what I did is I gave them a summary of all the stuff that I've covered with you guys in 1 John in about 25 minutes, and I tried to do my best to do that. One of the things that 1 John is all about is about a test, right? It's testing your faith, and, that, and that's really what John is after. At the end of the last uh, passage that we did last week, I'm just going to read it for you. It's not on screen, so don't worry about it. But in 1 John chapter 3, this is what he says. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. That verse is kind of a turning point now for where we're going to go tonight. So far, all the way up to this point, this book has been about testing yourself. Check yourself. Make sure what you believe is accurate about God so that you can ensure that you are saved. Make sure that your obedience, test your obedience, test your life, your, your holiness, your morality to see if it aligns with Scripture in a way that God tells you to live to see if you're saved. Test the way that you treat others to see if that aligns with how God loves you to see that you are saved. And then after all of that, he says, the Spirit whom he has given us will allow us to know that he he abides in us and we abide in him. That same spirit is to be used to give you wisdom as you listen to other things that people say about God. And, and this is where it now turns. Instead of testing everything inside, we're going to take a second to test stuff that's outside of you that sometimes you bring in. So you're going to test that. You're going to see if it's accurate, if it's biblical. Um, th this is something that I think for most of you, I, I don't know, like some of our high schoolers probably do this, maybe you do it in your free time, like you listen to a podcast or you listen to like a YouTube video or something like that of, of a sermon or of a pastor or something like that. Some of you guys who are younger, you're maybe not into that, but that could be one source of listening to other things. Some of you guys who are younger, really what it comes down to is you just listen to what other people say. Like, you listen to your parents, hopefully, you listen to maybe a teacher, you listen to a coach, you listen to friends, that's the big one, or other people in your family, and you take in everything that they say about God, and all those things kind of form you spiritually. It kind of molds what you think about who God is, and, and how he works, and what it takes to be saved, and, and some of those things might be good, but I want to make sure that you understand you need to test them. You need to test those things and make sure that they align with scripture. You want to listen very carefully. Um, this is something that I am honestly, I'm just very passionate about. And, and I, I say this because there are things that I'm passionate about that, that bother me and they, I think about them often. Sometimes I, when I'm laying in bed and I can't go to sleep, these are the things that pop in mind. And one of the things that pops in mind is how many times young people are believing the wrong things about God. And, and it bothers me because you're so close, and yet it's not quite the truth. And, and I want you to be able to know that for yourselves. I don't want to just spoon feed you, okay? Like, my goal is not for you to be a baby Christian where I just take a spoon and go, all right, open up the garage for the, for the bus or open up the hangar bay for the helicopter, and I'm going to give you truth. Like, I don't want to do that. I want you to be mature enough, even if you're 11, 12, or 13. Listen. As an 11, 12, or 13-year-old, I believe that you can be spiritually mature enough to feed yourself the Bible. 
and I want to come alongside of you and encourage you and shape that and help you know like what you are dis- digesting from Scripture is true and accurate. I don't want you to be led down a wrong path because that's a dangerous place to be. Um, let me just tell you how dangerous this can be. I'm going to read out of uh, 2 Corinthians 11 before we jump into our text, okay? Paul talks about this, about false teachers and those who are around talking about God and they're not accurate. Here's what he says. This is 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I want you to hear that again. He's saying, watch out, because even Satan appears as an angel of light. Now that's interesting because it says in 1 John a couple weeks ago, when we started this whole thing, actually months ago now, that God himself is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So the angel of light appears giving an appearance of light and yet he's deceiving. And it says here that there are some who work for him that are like him, his servants, and they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They may use the Bible, they may quote the Bible, they may even point you to the Bible, but at the end of the day, they're servants of themselves and not of God. And so I want you guys to be people who are smart enough to understand and learn that on your own. So here's what 1 John 4 says, and this is exactly the heart before, um, or what John is saying to his readers and what we're going to read tonight. So I'm going to start with verses 1 through uh, 3 first. Here's what it says. I think it's on the screen too. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So, so here's the things that I was thinking. As I was reading that, there's a couple things that I think we need to get right before we really dive into how I can make this applicable for your lives, right? So here's the first thing that this text is telling you. Number one, you should be able to test the spirits. So if you're going to put things to the test, you should also use an accurate test, right? Like if I want to test your eyesight, I would put an eye chart on that wall, and I would have you take a step away from it, and I'd have you cover an eye and go from the top to the bottom, I wouldn't give you a blood pressure test. I wouldn't slap a cuff on your arm and squeeze until your arm starts to do that pulsating thing that really freaks you out and actually makes my blood pressure go higher. So they always think I have higher blood pressure than I really do because it hurts. It's like a tourniquet on my arm and I hate it. But that's a personal thing. I wouldn't use that to test your eye vision. That would be the wrong type of test, right? Slapping the cuff on your arm and squeezing wouldn't tell me if you can see well. In the same way, if you're going to test the spirits, you need to test it rightly. So here's some things that you should test. You should, first of all, know the majors. Know here the major things about Christianity. And there, I just distilled this into an easy list. There's a couple others that maybe you could add to this, but I think these are pretty much the majors. Number one, the Bible is without error. Okay, you got to have that as a major. That's one that you should never, ever waver on. Somebody comes along and tells you that there might be some stuff in here that's contradictory or false. You should walk away from that because if at any point the Bible is without, is, is, sorry, is with error, then what foundation do you have to stand on to know absolute truth? 
You've got to have a source for absolute truth. So the Bible is without error. That's a major that you cannot step away from when it comes to testing what is right and wrong according to who God is and what he is like. Second one, there is one true God revealed to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call this the Trinity. There is one true God. There is not multiple gods out there. There's not many other gods who are in charge. There is one God, and he has shown himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have to hold on to that. That's a major. We don't move away from that. We don't waver on that major. Another one, this is straight out of Romans. All men... All people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We are not naturally good. We are naturally bent towards sin and destruction and evil. That is from Scripture. And again, if you take number one, the Bible is without error, you, you have to take that to know that then when the Bible says that all men are, are falling short of the glory of God and all have sinned, that that's true, right? So we have to have that established. Jesus is God who took on flesh and came to earth to save sinners by grace through faith alone. When he died on the cross, by grace through faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, that's how you are saved in the sight of a holy God. These are the majors. You got to know these things so you can test it rightly, right? Here's another one. In order to test rightly, you need to be a student of the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. You need to not just read your Bible, but you got to know what this book is truly about. And here's the first point. This book is about God. It's not about you. You are not David slaying Goliath. It's not about you. You are not, you know, Gideon throwing out a fleece. That's not you, okay? The Bible is a story about God, God showing himself, revealing who he is so that you can know who he is. It's not about you. And that's so important. So many people read the Bible, but they come to it with the wrong starting point. And if you come to it with the wrong starting point, then I think you actually end up being biblically illiterate, meaning you don't know what you're reading. Because everything that you read from that point forward is about you, not about God. This is so crucial. You've got to see that the Bible is not about you. It's about God. It's a book written so that you can know who God is. God wrote down these things through men so that you could know him. This is how he wanted to reveal himself. This book is called Special Revelation. General revelation is things like the the creation, the sky, the moon, the stars, all the things that God did. That's general. Anybody can look at that and go, wow, there must be a designer behind that. If you're honest with yourself and if you use logic... And you, you really think clearly for a second. That's general revelation. There's a designer behind that. This is special revelation. It goes a level beyond that. It tells you deeply who God is, what he's like, how he thinks, what he thinks about you, what you were designed for. And that's the last part. The Bible is a book written so you can understand how God intends life to be lived. Again, I, I've used you know, some of these cliche Christianese type things that people say, like, oh, the Bible is the roadmap for life and all these other things. It's the GPS and all that stuff. Listen, those are, I think people have a good intention, but again, that puts you at the center and your life and the direction of your life at the center of the Bible, and that's not what the Bible is. The Bible primarily is concerned with telling you who God is so that you can fall in love with him and glorify him. So, 
That's what it takes to test rightly. You got to know your majors, know the things that you will never be shaken, never be moved from when it comes to believing things about God and what the Bible says. And then you have to be a student of the Bible and you need to read it accurately. Now, it says in here in this text that there are other false prophets and we already established from the first Corinthians passage that these people actually are from or servants of Satan. They're servants of the evil one, right, to lead you astray. So I was looking at it. What is, what is the tactic that Satan and his, and his servants, the enemies of the church, of Christ, are going to do to distort or lead you away? And if you like alliteration and you like three points and you, you think that it's going to be easy to remember, I, I made that for you. Really easy. Here you go. Here's the first one. Satan's tactic, his first one, is to cast, cast doubt on what God says. All of these is, is just right from the Garden of Eden, right? What does he say to Adam and Eve at the beginning? Has God said, you shall not eat? He's trying to plant a seed of doubt in what God has said to them. Has God said that? Really? Did he? Are you sure? You sure you heard him right? Maybe you were, you know, working a little too hard on, on you know, naming all the animals and you kind of misheard what God said. He casts doubt on what God says. The second one, they'll try to, den to deny what God says. So first you got doubt and now you have denial. He says this to Eve, surely if you eat of the tree of the fruit, you will not die. Surely that won't happen. It's a flat out denial of what God said would happen. If she took of the fruit and ate, he said, you will surely die. And Satan says, no, you surely will not. It's a denial of the truth. Here's the third one. The enemy will distort what God says. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God had told them, if you take of this fruit, then there's some things that you're going to gain. And I don't want that. It's not good for you. But Satan distorts that and says, no, no, no. See, God's holding back from you because if you took of it, then you'll be like him. We would never, we can never assume, we can never be like God because we, we have limits. God's limitless. Satan knew this. But he distorted what God says. This is what the enemy's tactics are. Now, I gave those different people um, some orange pieces of paper. And this is where it's your time to shine. So if you have one, just hold it up so I can find you. All right. All right. So I'm going to start over here. These have no particular order. I have the blue microphone. Owen, can you make sure the blue microphone's unmuted? All right. So I just want you to read it out loud, and then we're going to pass it along to others. These are some statements that I want you guys to hear and see if you think they fall into these categories of doubt, denial, or maybe the third one, which I think is most of them where it distorts. But just listen to these different ones and see if you hear. All right, go ahead. Discover your destiny. Ooh, it sounds really good. Ruthie? All right, Ruthie, what you got? Discover your destiny. That's a good one. I like that. Did I misspell it? But it's, you have untapped potential that God wants to unleash. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds good. That'll preach, right? That'll preach. Here you go. Here's another one. The best is yet to come, y'all. It's all coming around. The best is yet to come. Weston, what do you have? Here you go. Yo. Ooh. Give it to Enoch. Come on, right? That is, that is biblical. Yeah. Give me that. All right, go ahead, Enoch. God has something great for you. My man. My man. We got one more. 
Marissa, last one. Pass it down to Marissa, please. Here's the last one. God has a vision for your life. Dream God-sized dreams. Man, these all, thanks you so much, guys. Those are free. You guys can keep those. Um, you can post them on your wall, and then later you can think about if it's good for you or not. All of those things, listen, I pulled those from just different sermons that I have found that you can easily find. And guess what? Every single one of those sermons has millions of views. Millions. This is not like some backwoods preacher who's like kind of crazy, and he's talking about healing people. And like, you know, I got this person over here, and I got this oil, and I'll just sprinkle on that, and then boom, your leg's all good. Now, these are, these are millions of people across our country and the world listening to these types of statements and going, hmm, that's good. Yeah, pastor, that'll preach. That'll preach. Now, now hear me. There, there is elements of truth in each of them. If you're listening closely to all six of those elements of truth, but what do we say the deceiver likes to do? He likes to deceive. Yes, good job. He casts doubt on what God says. He'll deny what God says. I don't think any of those fall into this category, but I do feel like it falls into this. He'll distort what God says. And here's where I want to finish with our time. And here I think this will make more sense to you guys and how this could really apply to your lives. Where are we out? Where are we at right now? Here's what's out there around us, okay? There are messages that you guys get all the time that sometimes come from within the church, but these are the ones that are maybe outside the church and are not hostile towards God, but you'll hear things like this. God just wants you to be happy. You know, God is love, and so he just wants you to be happy. You'll hear this message, not so much in the church, but you only live once. That's not as popular anymore, the whole YOLO movement, um, you know, but it's there. You need to live your truth. Live your truth. Your feelings are reality. If you feel that way, then it must be true. And if I feel this way, it must be true for me. Your life is what you make it. Or you need to let go and let God. There's even popular songs that you can hear about, I want to let go and let God. And there's a sermon I did a, about a year ago talking about bumper sticker verses, and that one's in there. But anyway, those are some of the things that you guys are just flooded with right now. Those are the types of statements that you hear on repeat in our culture all the time, right? These are the things that you're to assume about God, but I, I think you should test that. I think you should actually take it to God's word, and you should see if it aligns with what God is saying about being a follower of Christ, if that's what it really looks like to be a Christian. I was looking at it, and I, I debated on how I was going to handle this, but here's, here's how I'm going to do it. So, What's out there right now, that's in the world. Here's what's within our churches. Not necessarily our church in particular, but in churches. Okay, here's what's out there. There is a book that came out about 18 years ago. It is very popular. It's a daily devotional book. To this point, it has sold 40 million copies. You can pick up this book and go through it day by day, and you have something that you feel like is from the Bible, and even there are Bible verses in it. Here's what the author of that daily devotional said. I wrote this book because I yearned for something more than the Bible. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God might to want to communicate to me on a given day. So I decided to listen with pen in hand and write down whatever I heard in my mind. Now, some of you are listening to that and it's not setting alarm bells off. Others of you, you should be going, whoa, what? What is this book? 
The problem with it is this author starts out by saying, I yearn for something more than the Bible. Hold on. If you want to know more about Jesus, isn't it the Bible that is where you should go? Yes, is the answer you're looking for. Let me help you. I wanted to write down some things, and I wrote down whatever I heard in my mind. So literally, a person has sold 40 million copies of a book to many believers who believe in the Bible, read the Bible, follow Jesus, and yet I think that they're in danger of being led astray by these types of books. It's not based in Scripture. It's based in the person's mind. Here's another one. There's a book out there called Greater that was written. Here's what it said in the book. If you're tired of being ordinary, it's time to dream bigger. It's time to ignite God's greater vision for your life. Okay, that is really, sounds really good. Sounds really exciting. We like that. It almost reminds me of like, we even play, we played Super Mario Brothers 3, old school Nintendo. Like, I'm talking the like, I don't know, is that, that's not 8-bit. What, however many bits that is. Anyway, you know, the old school Mario where you jump and you hit a box and the green mushroom comes out and you get the one up and it goes ding, 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 and you're so excited, right? The idea behind this quote, if you really think about it, is, hey, you, you dream bigger dreams and if you just access this deeper level of faith out there, then you get like an extra life. You go to this next level, you like you unlock some secret hidden thing that God has, but you just have to unlock it, and, and he wants it for you. That's not in the Bible. What it comes down to is these types of books and these types of things are talking about you get your vision for your life. What do you want out of your life? And then you just unlock it by using God to ascend to whatever that extra, extra hidden secret level, and it's really cool, behind the scenes level is. You unlock that by having faith in God. Instead, here's what the Bible says. And I, I'm trying my best to use scripture to always back up what I'm saying when I'm with you guys. Luke 9, 23 and 24. You want to know what the Bible actually says God's vision for your life is? It's not to unlock some new heights, some new, some new things that you are going to achieve. This is what God's vision for your life is. Lose yourself in service to him and become more like Jesus by his power. That's from Luke 9, 23 and 24, where he says, take up your cross daily, follow me. Those who want to save their lives must lose it, and you will lose your life because, those who lose their lives because of me, they will be saved. Th th this is what God's actually saying in the Bible. It's not about you, it's about you dying to yourself daily and following him and becoming more like him. Not about you unlocking some greater vision for your life. The greater vision God has for your life is for you to be saved, not for you to get better stuff or to have more comfort or to get this really cool, awesome new thing. There's another one, a pastor sermon title I found on YouTube. This pastor's church has about 2.5 million subscribers on YouTube. Um, very popular. It's this, the title of the sermon is, It's Always Been in You always been in you this is what he said in the very outset of the sermon god told me to tell you this it's always been in you this guy this guy set out by saying god gave me a word and, I, and he gave it to me for you to hear today it's always been in you here's the problem with that by him saying that god gave him a word to you 
he's basically removing himself from debate. You can't deny this. God gave it to me. He's making himself an authority. The authority is not man. It's, it's God's word. The problem with it is it's always been in you. He's talking about there's always been goodness in you. There's always been something in you that God just wants to draw out of you. You've got potential in you and good stuff that God is just wanting to draw out of you. The problem is, is that the Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and our transgressions. There's nothing good in us. The only things that are good in us are placed into us when we come to faith in Christ. There is nothing good that's lying dormant in you. You are spiritually dead. You are not alive. You need to be made into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. It's not always been in you guys. It's, it's been missing. God needs to place it in you through Christ. And it's not about your ability. It's about his ability to work in you and in, in his power in you. He later said this, and again, I'm just pulling quotes from it. Whatever you put on me, God has something in me that has always been greater. He's telling people in the congregation, like, listen, you can't put you, don't let people put you down. Because whatever they're going to put on you, God has something in you that's greater. No, what is greater in you is he that is in you than he who is in the world. It's not about you, it's about him. But all of these these passages, or these preachings, and and these devotion books, and these things that I'm, I'm quoting from, the focus is on you as the person, how great you can be. And listen, I, I love you guys. But I tell you all the time, you're not awesome. I'm not awesome. But Jesus is. And Jesus makes you something that's beautiful. He makes you holy, righteous, loved in the sight of God. There's one last one, and then I'll, I'll close. This is from a pastor's recent Instagram reel. Just put this out there. I got a million likes instantly almost. Be intentional about what you speak into the atmosphere. Your words are creating your world. Who's the center point of that world, I wonder? It's all about you, isn't it? As far as I'm concerned, or as far as I've ever read in, again, the Bible, um, the only one who speaks things into existence is God. His words are the only ones that have true, genuine power. Now, does that mean that your words can't hurt? Yeah, your words can hurt. But when we talk about creating the world and crafting the world around you, that, that's, that's reserved for the Lord. Who's at the center of that universe right there? Here's what I want to finish. 1 John 4, 1 through 6 says this. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God, knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here, here's what I just want, I just want to use this, uh, this last couple minutes I have with you, and just, just to look at verse 4. We, we, this verse gets quoted all the time. In the context of this verse, here's what it means. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God's, God is trying to encourage the people of this church because many people, as we talked about months, weeks ago, had left this church and had followed false teaching. I, I want to just prepare you. There will be times in your life where you might be in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, gospel-filled church, and people are going to leave, and they're going to go to somewhere that's new and exciting. 
Maybe the worship's better. Maybe, maybe the pastor is a little bit more hip or cool. And, and people are going to leave and go. And, and God is saying this, do not be discouraged by that. You know the truth. Stay true to the word of God. Those who are from God, who are preaching God's word and preaching that it's not about you, it's about Christ. Those are the things that we want you to stick with. Greater is he than he who is in the world. All those things, all the glitz and the glamour of all those big things that you think other people are falling in traps for, don't fall into those traps. God will overcome them. So, so here are just a couple things that I would just encourage you to do, and these are the telltale signs that you might have found a place that is, I think, not preaching truth to you. All right, here's the first one. Little to no talk about sin and repentance. All right, if you, if you go to a church service, whether, and if that's here, I want you to come and talk to me about it, but, but if you are in a church service and the person speaking does little to no talk about the sin in our lives and our need for repentance, that could be a problem. That could be a problem. Because again, that leads you down a road to, you're awesome, you're great, God wants you to achieve more. And the reality is, is God wants you to come to him because it's not about you, it's about him. In your own strength, you can't do it, but he can. So it's all talk, no talk about sin and repentance, that could be a problem. This could be another one. There's not a lot of commitment necessary if you're in a Christian life. If, if you're hearing that or getting that vibe from a place where it's not a big deal, like you don't have to walk that tight with Jesus all the time. It's low commitment. You just come and go as you please, and you don't have to stick around. You don't have to, you know, do life with other people and, and actually submit to leadership. It's low commitment. That could be a telltale sign of a church or a preacher or a leader that is focused on man, not on God. Third, you could, if, if you see a focus on earthly things instead of heavenly things, if, if the focus is about getting more stuff on earth rather than being more like Christ or looking more for eternal things, seeing other people saved, seeing the church protected, seeing God's glory shown. If it's more about earthly things like getting new stuff, being successful, all that. if it's more about that, if that's where the focus is, then there's a problem. Lastly, if you hear this, that God's primary job is to make sure you reach your goals, then you know you have a problem. God's primary job is not to make sure that you reach goals that you have set. Here's the reality is that many people, when they come to Christ, they think that they just get their sin taken care of and then that's it. The, the reality is, is that when you come to Christ, he changes what you desire, he changes your dreams, he changes your focus, and you're willing to lose those things because your primary focus is becoming more like Christ. And when you come more like Christ, guess what? What you want to do changes. It's not about putting this facade on it, saying, oh, I just want to use a bigger platform so I can give God more of the glory. That's a dangerous, believe me, it's a slippery slope. Here, here's what uh, Spurgeon said. I quote him often. It often happens that converts that are born in excitement die when the excitement is over. If your relationship with the Lord was just built on one where you had had an exciting experience and that's what brought you, what do you do when that excitement dies out? The Christian life is filled with a lot of boring days, a lot of repetition, a lot of patience. So if your conversion to Christ was born out of excitement, what happens when that excitement is over? Ultimately, this is my heart for you. I just want you to grow and go where you can grow to be more like Jesus. And, and 
I want you, when you leave this place, I want you to go to a place where you will grow to be more like him. Like that, that's my heart for you. Wherever you end up going from here, whether you stick in Kernersville or God sends you somewhere else, wherever you go, wherever that place may be, you will grow to be more like Christ. Whatever place you are, that helps you to grow like that. They do, it doesn't have to be where all the cool people go. It doesn't have to be the place with the coolest programs. It doesn't have to be that. It has to be the place where God specifically places you to grow in the more likeness of Jesus so that you are like him. A guy who taught a seminary class I took once said this, in the world you're going to find peace when you embrace your true self, but in the Bible you find peace when you embrace Jesus who is the true human. It's not about us. If I can drill that into your heads, it's about him, not about us. And that's good news because if it was about us, that puts all the pressure and weight on us to perform and make it. And the reality is we don't have to because he already did. That's why it's good news for us. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just pray um, in our time together, I know that for many, this is something that they will just have to hold on to. And God, I just pray that you would tuck it away in their hearts. It would be words that sink deep and maybe they sprout and bear fruit later in their lives. For some who might be listening or hearing from other people in their lives, God, I pray that they would understand the dangers of some of those catchphrases, the dangers of those things that people say that sound good on the surface. Pray that they would be students of the Bible that would dig in and see where those things fall short of what God actually means in Scripture. Help us to be people who have that wisdom. Use the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us discern. Give us discernment on what is right, what comes from you and what comes from man. Even when the things that come from man sound so good and appealing and maybe even have a biblical reference. God, may we have the discernment to know what actually is true and what's fool is gold. So God, help us to be those people. Give us the wisdom we need. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right.